Keep praising the Lord. Go ahead. Go ahead. Put your hands together. Keep praising Him this morning. Father God, in this house, we proclaim victory. Victory over those that are sick. Victory over those that are bound in depression and chaos and confusion in their God. God, today we call forth from heaven to come into this place and to set the captives free. God, that what we get here will be liberating, not just to us, but to a thousand generations. God, that we will pass it to our children and our children's children. God, that what you do in this house today will be a spiritual undertaking, the likes of which we have not seen or witnessed before, but God, that we will be loose today when this service is over than we've ever been before that you will open our spiritual eyes so that we may witness the glory of the Lord and that you will come into this place today God with the anointing that breaks every yoke of bondage and set to liberty every captive I proclaim this today God today we see victory in the name of Jesus go ahead and give him a hand clap of praise If you need victory in your life, if you need victory in your house, if you need victory in your family, right now, go ahead, praise Him. Open your mouth and give Him some praise. Hallelujah. My God in heaven, I'm going to see a victory. Sometimes you just got to preach yourself into believing. Sometimes when you don't feel it, you got to preach yourself into believing. I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord, David said. When I don't have nobody else to come along and be my cheerleader and pick me up and tell me everything's going to be all right and pet me down and rub me up, I've got to encourage myself. You've got enough word in you. You ought to be excitable at the drop of a hat. Your fuse ought to be about that long and you're ready to light it whenever. I can go off at any moment, have a Holy Ghost hoe down all by myself. I don't need the pastor around. I don't need the praise team to back me up. I don't need no Hammond B3 to give me some orchestration. I can go off at any minute. You hear me? devil mess with me and I'll have revival all by myself you don't know what you're doing to me you push me up against the wall you're forcing me into having a shouting match with you and when I start shouting my daddy's going to show up and you are in for some trouble (laughs) I'm going to see the victory I'm going to see a victory hallelujah you can be seated if you're able to this morning I'm glad you got your shouting out Why did it get so quiet all of a sudden? I told you last week that if you were uh, unappreciative of the intent of the message that I shared last week, that you wouldn't like the ones that are coming either. Last week I began a new series called Cancel Culture. And I'm going to be diving back into uh, last week's message just a bit because I'm setting the foundation. Because to be honest with you, I'm going to be talking about some things in this series that are a little bit uncomfortable in the climate that we're in. I'm talking about the political climate. I'm talking about the social climate. Even the church climate. And then this pandemic climate that we find ourselves in. I'm basically going to be just breaking down the word. This is unlike any series that I've ever preached. This is unlike sermons that I normally preach. I don't usually preach this way. I usually have these taglines and these uh, quotable uh, things that you can take with you and and it makes the sermon flow and it's got this hook at the end. But I'm not doing that. I'm basically just breaking down the Word of God to address what I think are the spirits of this age. And the reason I'm doing it is because I think people are using the wrong spirits to fight the wrong war against the wrong people. I'm going to be punching some stuff in the mouth in this series. I'm talking about spiritual concepts. I'm just going to take them head on. It's going to be uncomfortable at times. Because I'm just, I'm just going to uh, look at the social agendas that are out there. And we're just going to, we're going to hit them with the only weapon I know that is always effective. And that's the Word of God. Listen, I'm going to bust racism in the mouth in this series. I know some of y'all are going to get a little bit squirmy in your seat, but I'm going to say some hard stuff from this pulpit that's going to make you think because it's making me think. And, and, and it's time that the church spoke things instead of hiding things because the reason that so many people are misunderstood is because we don't talk about nothing. But I got something to say because I got the Word of God to back me up. So let's just go ahead and put stuff out in the open and let's address some stuff. I'm sick of division. I said I'm sick of division. I'm sick of people uh, looking at people funny and acting funny and not accepting other people just because of, uh, of skin color or because of backgrounds or because of nationalities or whatever it is. God didn't design us like that. I said God didn't design us that way. He put two people in the garden. 
They wasn't 14 different mixtures of them. Adam and Eve was the same. We're all descendants from the same two people. And we're all God's children. And it's time we started acting like it. So because of that, we're going to be dealing with some things that are pretty uncomfortable. Unsettling, if you will. And not necessarily sinful. Although there are sin elements that we're going to be addressing. Not necessarily lawlessness. But just things that are simply difficult because they cut against the grain and they're not normal for people to talk about. I'm going to deal this morning out of Luke chapter 18. And we're going to set a precedent this morning uh, about your attitude. I didn't say my attitude because I already checked mine back there. Up to and including this morning, I've been back there just checking my attitude saying, God, I don't want to go out there and represent me. I want to go out there and represent you because I'm going to ask people to check their attitudes today and I have no right to do that if I haven't done it myself already. So I'm going to talk to you this morning about checking your attitude because some of the stuff I'm going to be preaching in this series is going to be too hard for some of you to swallow if you don't first get your attitude in check. So that's what we're going to deal with this morning in Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Stop right there. I'm using this translation for a reason. Do you see what that do you see what Dr. Luke just said? He said Jesus told this story to people who had confidence in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. Wow. That is some folks I've seen in the last 12 months. They had confidence in their own righteousness, looking down on everybody else. Verse 10, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. So we got a preacher and a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Cheaters. Sinners. Adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance, dared not even lift his eyes to heaven, and he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. May you receive this word into your spirit and your heart this morning. Because before I even begin to preach it, I'm going to tell you, this is going to stab some of the spirits of this age right in the neck this morning because this word is pertinent for where you and I are finding ourselves living. Because if you could have chosen one person or one group of people in the first century to cancel, we're living in this cancel culture, if you would have chosen one person or one group of people to cancel in that first century, it would have been the tax collector. Jewish people hated tax collectors, even though they were Jews. The reason were they worked for the Roman government, and they taxed their own people. And not only did they tax them, they overtaxed them, and they stuck a little bit of the kickback in their own pocket. They were despised by their own Jewish brethren. And when Jesus tells this story... He tells it about a tax collector who did gross work, profited off of the economic misery of his own people. And in the Gospels, tax collectors are often referred to as publicans. And they're frequently lumped in with flagrant sinners and bottom feeders of society. So when Jesus wanted to teach his disciples a lesson in repentance and forgiveness and genuine faith, he uses a tax collector as the hero of the story. And if that wasn't insulting enough, he makes the Pharisee the bad guy. This story that I just read to you, it landed better for you than it did the Jewish audience that Jesus spoke it to. They would have gotten very upset when Jesus told this story. How dare you make the Pharisee less than a tax collector? Don't you know what those tax collectors do? 
I have an opinion about these two groups of people and my opinion about this one and my opinion about that one must mean Jesus likes this person better than he likes this one. I have strong opinions about how the tax collectors treat me and people like me, so Jesus must not like this. God must think the same way I think. There's got to be, God has to be on my side of this relationship. And yet when we listen to the way Luke frames Jesus' parable, he begins by saying this. He told this story to people who trusted in themselves, liked their own righteousness, and looked down on everybody else. I love Jesus. Jesus is the wisest teacher who ever lived. He could say so much with so few words. So let's begin this morning. He said, he, he said there's a good guy and a bad guy, but who are the good people? Well, in Jesus' day, the good people were traditionally called Pharisees. They were the workers down at the house of God. They were frequently, uh, they were frequently lifted up and put in a position where they were directly between God and man. They, they, were, they were looked at favorably, the Pharisees were. They, they fasted every week. Some of y'all have fasted today, which means you haven't eaten since church started. Pharisees fasted twice a week. They gave faithfully a tenth of their income. They were faithful tithers. They kept God's law to the tenth degree. And then there was this tax collector who wasn't a good person in the eyes of the church. Who wasn't a good, upstanding church member in the eyes of people. But he stands over in a corner and he's, he won't even raise his eyes to heaven because he feels so unworthy. And his cry to God was, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. When the good person felt self-righteous and his only complaint to God was, I'm glad I'm not like the rest of these. I'm glad that I stand here so close to you, Lord, that I'm not like the rest of these yahoos that I go to church here. Y'all not going to help me. I'm, I'm glad I'm not like the rest of these people that are on that side or this side. Instead, he said, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. I'm a good person, the Pharisee said. I'm on the right side of all the right issues. And I'm here to publicly declare that ain't none of y'all as good as me. Did you hear his, did you hear how his, his cocky language came across? His arrogant self standing up in the house of God saying, God, I'm glad I ain't like the rest of these heathen. Adulterers and sinners and fornicators and people who ain't got it together like me. I'm glad you made me perfect in every way. And look at these baby blues you put in my head. I am so good looking. I mean, if you're going to go, if you're going to be in for a dime, be in for a dollar. I mean, just go ahead and thank God for everything. And here's this Pharisee culture that we see in the first century, and I'm seeing it again in our century. When we become like the Pharisees, we start using our opinions to place ourselves ahead of other people. Let me direct your attention to what we just came through. The year 2020. COVID. Racial unrest. A, a, a terribly divisive political season. There was no shortage of 2020 problems that caused you to trust in yourself and look down on everybody else if your attitude is wrong. Even the brands that you buy are real quick anymore to run to one side or the other. We have gotten to a place in this country where we're constantly having to choose to take sides. And even places that do business, that you do business with, brands, they're real quick. Remember when brands used to just sell stuff? Now they're not just selling items, they're selling agendas. They're real quick to tell you what side of the societal issues that they're on. And that didn't used to be. 
They used to just sell you shoes, or they used to just sell you earrings, or they used to just sell you internet. And now they want you to know what they stand for, that they don't want you to just buy their product, they want you to buy their message. And I want to come this morning and, and, and in hopes to, to get your attitude right because for Christians, our value is not in the world where we stand, but rather in declaring the truth of heaven and the kingdom that we represent. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 says that we are always supposed to be ready to give a, 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 an answer. We are ready to defend why we are so happy. Why do I have joy in a land of sorrow? Because this land is not my home. I'm not spending eternity here. My eyes are turned under the hills from which cometh my help. And this whole place can go all the way down and I won't go down because my home is in the sky. Somebody say amen. Which means that you and I, Christians, we should never hesitate to use our voice to stand up against the vulnerable, uh, or for the vulnerable, and against injustice. But we have to be very careful with our voices. Because our words can easily morph from prophetic witness to Pharisee division. If we're not careful, and I've seen it in this season in God's house, social media has become the, the 19, uh, uh, the, the, the 20, the 21 version of the temple. 2019, 2020, 2021, we use social media like the Pharisees use the temple. Where, where we stand up and proclaim how right we are and how wrong everybody else is. We have turned our social media, our voices, into an act of pharisaical division. And we want to show everybody how much more sophisticated and enlightened and more biblical and more pure than we are. And by the way, social media algorithms encourage. Because the more hits you get, the more likes you get, the more shares you get, you, you are promoted and you have, you have a lot more eyeballs on what it is that you're saying. In other words, if you use incendiary language and you get a, a, a lot of, 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 of things that stir up emotions in people, that makes your haters hate and your friends love, you're going to be promoted and your fans will cheer and you'll feel like you've accomplished something. Last week I started in Philippians chapter 1 and I made it to the beginning of chapter 2. And in Philippians 2 and verse 1, Paul asked a question to the church that I'm going to be asking throughout this series. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort in His love? If we can find any comfort in Christ's love, how can we find it if we can get any encouragement? Church, let's be honest. We should be encouragement in this world. I know I'm not shouting and running all over the aisles and leaving Jesus tracks on the ceiling, but that's, this sermon series is not about this. I, I, I'm, I'm ready to get real and raw going into this new year because we need to hear some stuff. Because what sparked me to do this teaching is because we are supposed to be the encouragement in a lost and a dying world. The Bible makes it very clear that we are to be a light in darkness. And, and here's, here's the problem that we're living in. Uh, we have the answers that the world needs, and the world doesn't know that they need the answers, and they think that they have the answers, and we are never going to win them by argument. We have to be an encouragement. We have to know in whom we have believed because we need to have fellowship with the same Spirit. So let me ask you, Christian... Are your hearts compassionate? Are you tender? In this day that we're living in, where everybody is so mean-spirited and aggressive, have you lost your tenderness? That's what Paul's asking. He's saying, are your hearts tender? Are you compassionate? Because I'm going to be honest with you, compassion is something that I see surely lacking in the body of Christ today. And, and, and I'll get to something in a moment about what exactly compassion is supposed to look like. Because what I call compassion may not be what you call compassion. Or, but what really means, what, what really matters is what God calls compassion, okay? So in verse 2, he says, you want to make me happy? Deal nicely with each other. 
Work together, strive together, stand together. And in verse 3, he drops this two-letter or two-word message on us that I'm going to be preaching about every single week. Be humble. What was the difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector at the temple? Humility. One stood in God's presence and said, I don't even want to look at you because I don't deserve to be here. And the other one stood up and and pounded his chest in another way and said, I'm glad I'm right and everybody else is wrong. Thank you, God, for making somebody as perfect as me. And I'm not trying to make you feel attacked here, but how many times have you actually considered other people better than yourself? That's not the climate I see in the church world today. I don't see Christian people. I don't see the church preferring other people. I hear us talking dogmatically about who's right and who's wrong and about my rights and your rights, but I don't see a lot of compassion. And from your silence, I think I'm hitting on something. I don't see a lot of humility in the body of Christ anymore, and that's why I'm teaching this stuff. We have lost our ability to stand in the presence of God and the presence of people and appreciate both. A Pharisee stands in the presence of God and appreciates himself. The tax collector stands in the presence of God and says, I'm lower than everybody else, and I'm just humbled that you would even look my way. Verse 4 of Philippians chapter 2 said, Don't look out for your own interests. Consider other people too. You, You must have the same attitude that Christ has. Now, what kind of attitude does Jesus have? Well, I'm glad you asked. He had an attitude of humility. He was clothed in humility. One of the primary things that God wants us to do is to be humble. And if God wants us to be humble, you can rest assured that means the enemy is going to do everything he can to keep you from being humble. The Bible even tells us that that is why the Holy Spirit came. See, I'm Pentecostal through and through, but the Holy Spirit did not come so we can have knock-down, drag-out services at church. The Bible says the Holy Spirit came to teach us about who Jesus was. And why does the Holy Spirit want to teach you who Jesus is? Because He wants you to be like Jesus. And if Jesus was full of compassion, guess what? If Jesus was full of humility, guess what? If Jesus loved other people, guess what? You and I are supposed to, too. And if we got the Holy Ghost, it doesn't just help us speak in tongues or prophesy to each other. It's supposed to help us become more like Him and love people. So, 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 so God's constantly calling us to be like Jesus. And that's what Paul tells us that we're supposed to look like. We want to have the attitude of Jesus. This is what it looks like. It looks like unity. It looks like us pulling in the same direction. It looks like us loving each other and having compassion for other people. Don't be selfish. He says, don't try to impress other people. Be humble. Think of other people. Prefer them over yourself. Don't only look out for what you want, but consider what would make other people smile too. That's what an attitude of Christ looks like. We have to be humble. And if you can't get humility out of this message this morning, you are going to suffer with the rest of these sermons. Because as I start talking about the cancel culture, and I start getting a little more personal, you're going to find out that some of the traits that you carry around under the cloak of Christianity has really been hurting other people. And if we hurt other people, that's not humility, and it's certainly not what Paul is calling the church to do. He's calling us to prefer people. I will eat broccoli. I prefer donuts. Hello? I mean, I prefer broccoli with cheese on it over just plain old steamed broccoli. I got preferences. You got preferences. And whether you believe it or not, you got preferences in folks too. And you... You haven't treated everybody equally. You haven't acted the same with everybody. There's been people that you have been uneven with. There's been people that you have been unsteady around. Y'all not going to help me. I'm telling you, we're going to squirm a little bit in this series, but I'm going to punch some stuff right in the mouth because God's got me on a mandate. We have to do better than this because there's a world dying and going to hell, and they need Jesus Christ. We have to be humble because we have to remember that apart from Jesus, we're all just wretched, dirty rags. See, if it wasn't for Jesus, none of us would have a way to get to heaven. There are none of us, Pharisee, that is good. Hello. 
There's none of us that deserves to be in His presence. None of us have done so many great things that God would look down and want to reward us. I know some of y'all are thinking about your grandma saying, oh, my grandma was great. Your grandma had sin in her life. I know you don't like to hear that. I know there's a whole bunch of uh, millions of people around the world today that don't want me to say this, but Mary had sin in her life. And Mary had Jesus, but she needed Jesus in order to get into the presence of the Father. We all need Jesus. And Paul had this mindset, and he tried to teach it to the church. He said, the grace of God teaches us one thing. I am one decision away from being them. I was them. I'm going to go one step further with that with Paul and say, I couldn't have, I wasn't just could have been them. I was one of them. Listen to what he tells the New Testament church. He says, some of you wasn't on, wasn't on your way to heaven. He talks about some of you are whoremongers and you won't make it to heaven. He gives us a list of people. He says that won't see heaven unless they change their ways. Whoremongers and drunks won't make it to heaven and liars won't make it to heaven and homosexuals won't make it to heaven. People who are adulterers won't make it to heaven. And he goes through this list of people that's not going to make it to heaven. But then he says, and as such, some of you were. In other words, you are a few decisions away from being one of them, which means they are a few decisions away from being one of you. Be humble. Be humble. Because you could be them. Something could smack you so hard in the mouth that you want to run back out and become one of them. Make a few wrong decisions in the wrong direction, and you could end up in their shoe. Be humble. We always want to remember... That we're not better than anybody else. We just got something going for us. And that is that we have received the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And He has saved us from our sin. But that doesn't make us better than them. As a matter of fact, it should make us more compassionate toward them. Because that's what should humble us. That, that God loved us enough that He saved us through Jesus. And that He died for the ungodly. And that while He died for us, He died for them too. And that we are supposed to constantly not feel better than them. But actually feel compassion toward them. Because what we have, they need. But they don't even know they need it. Understand something with me. Before you become a Pharisee, your worth is dependent on God. Not in the good things that you do. We don't have to be, we don't have any worth in and of ourselves. We are dependent on God to give us productive and productivity and purpose and a reason to exist. And if I want to have an attitude like Jesus, if I want to have a Christ-like mind, his attitude was what Paul describes here. He says, complete selflessness, thinking of other people, become a servant. Did you hear that? He wants us to serve folks. He wants us to not be so locked in uh, to us and to what we need and what, I, what my demands are. He makes us, he says, I don't care how sick you are, look to help other people. I don't care how bad life is treated, you look to help other people. If you have an attitude like Jesus, look what Jesus did. Jesus stepped out of heaven. He took on a humiliating, less than position, and he became a servant. And if Jesus can do that, Paul says, who do you think you are? If Jesus can lessen himself, who do we think that we are? Are we better than he? If you want that mindset, if you want to be like Jesus, it's not walking the aisles of Walmart speaking in tongues. If you really want to be like Jesus... We're going to get down to the nitty-gritty. You ready to go with me? If you really want to be like Jesus, you're going to have to check yourself. So let's talk about what Paul means here. He says, you're supposed to be considerate of other people. Now, there's a word that's been kicking around in my spirit for about three months now. And it's a word that I can't get away from, but we don't talk about it anymore. And that word needs to make a comeback, especially in the body of Christ. And that word is civil. Do you remember when we used to be civil? Do you remember when we used to be able to disagree with somebody but not hate them? Do you? I do. 
Do you remember when you used to be able to talk about politics or religion or how to raise kids or whether you should drive a Chevy or a Ford or drink Coke or Pepsi? And, and, and you could know that the person that you was talking to was as wrong as two left shoes. But when you parted company, you didn't have no bad taste in your mouth. You just let them be wrong and you went on and lived your life. Do you remember that? I'm old enough to remember that. I'm old enough to remember when we were mature enough to understand everybody don't think like me. Everybody don't have the same opinions that I have. And I don't have to run to Facebook and start putting down the way that they think just because they thought differently to you. Do you remember them days? Do you remember the days where, listen, Facebook Pharisee, do you remember the days when you had to run down to the temple and stand up and say, I'm glad that I don't believe about COVID like the rest of these gullible people do? Oh, it's getting quiet in this mortuary. I'm glad that I don't believe in this candidate the way the rest of these heathens do, God. And I'm saying it loud enough on Facebook so everybody can hear. Facebook Pharisees. I've seen it over, well, I haven't been seeing it lately because I've been off Facebook this year. <laughs> but I saw so much of it, it was becoming toxic to me. I remember when we used to be able to debate ideas and discuss things without it breaking down into fist fights. Hello. And at the end of the day, you say, you know what? You've got the right to be wrong. And you just walk away from that person and say, I don't agree with you, and I never will. And apparently you're never going to agree with me, but we can agree to disagree. And I don't have to put them down. I don't have to try to diminish their opinion. Because what's happening in the world today is we are trying to shut up everybody who don't have the same opinion we got. We are diminishing everybody else's opinions. So all around you are these fights. Whether it's political, whether it's social, whether it's economic, whether it's church, whatever it is, all around you are these fights. And everybody is scratching and clawing and trying to shout down the next person. And it's going on all around you, but it doesn't become your problem until you make it your problem. Do you realize that fights can go on around you? And just because you're invited to the fight, it don't mean you have to participate? Every argument I'm invited to doesn't mean I have to participate in it. I have the right to remain silent. Some of us just don't have the ability. And this is what I'm seeing in the body of Christ. And it has to be hurting the heart of God. It has to be hurting the heart of God. You know why? Because we're not acting in accordance to the way that we're supposed to believe as believers. Did you know, did you know that I'm an expert in at least one area? I am. You're looking at a bona fide grade A number one expert. It's true. And you are too. You know what I'm an expert in and you're an expert in? Our own opinions. Yes, sir. I'm an expert in what I believe. And you're the best at knowing what you believe. Nobody can do it like you. Nobody can have your opinion better than you can have it, baby. I mean, you are an expert. You are a Ph.D. in you. And everybody who has an opinion thinks their opinion is the right opinion. And there's a problem with opinions. Everybody else has them too. And because two people can see the same thing two different ways, our opinions very seldom line up with other people. One, one, two people can see the same car accident. One person says the blue car did it. The other person says the red car did it. And they can't both be right. They can both be wrong. But they can't both be right. However, what we want to do is we have to learn how to appreciate opinions even when we don't agree with them. Hear how quiet it's getting in this Pentecostal church? I'd be up here talking about the miracles of God, and I have to shove y'all back off this stage. Y'all come up here and try to take the microphone away from me. I start talking about y'all's attitudes, and y'all just sit there. Some of us are never going to agree with other people's opinions, and that's okay. But what we, ha what we cannot do is devalue their opinion, even though it's a wrong opinion. I'm going to give 
a deep dive into this for a few minutes. You ever notice how hard it is to parent grown children? I'm not talking about when they turn 18 because 18 is just a number. You and I both know that just because a kid turns 18 don't make them an adult. Amen. I'm, I'm talking about when a kid moves out on their own and they're living on their own life. Maybe they're married. Maybe they got some kids of their own. You ever notice how hard it is to parent that child? Do you know why? Because you're not supposed to. You're done. You finished your race. You ran your course. If they have made it out alive, and they are a contributing member of society in some form or fashion, you did all right, Mom. You did okay, Dad. Let it go. You're not supposed to be parenting grown children. You know why? Because grown children have opinions. The younger ones did too. They was just scared to share them. Somewhere along the line, your grown kids picked up their own opinions, and sometimes their opinions don't sound like yours. And here's what's going on. You've got an opinion as their parent, and you want to share your opinion. But somewhere along the line, they didn't like your opinion, and they developed one of their own. And do you know why? Because stupidity is still not illegal. I mean, you've lived a few days. You see what's about to happen. You've been around the block a few times. You can tell what's out ahead of them, and you think, that is the dumbest thing you could possibly ever do. I mean, that is the dumbest move you could. But if you tell them that, your opinion is not going to be their opinion. So you have to suffer in silence and watch stupidity take seed. And be at the other end and say, I'm going to pray for you now. Now that y'all beat up and you got black eyes. and you, I mean, I, I saw it coming, but okay, we're just going to pray now. Because when you have grown children, they haven't outlawed stupidity yet. And so they're going to go and do some stupid things that you told them not to do. And you have to just stand back, watch it happen, because as an adult, you don't have any power over that child anymore. Hello. So... There, there may not be anything necessarily wrong with somebody else's opinion, but because it's not the same opinion you got, you think it's wrong, and you automatically go into attack mode. That's what 2020 did to us. That's what COVID frustration has done to us. We have lost the ability to be civil with people who don't think and speak just like we do. Have you ever went online before? Uh, you were planning on going out to eat, and you wanted to check out the place by their reviews? Okay, first of all, let, let me train you on something. Number one, understand that very few people have a positive experience and they leave positive reviews. As a matter of fact, the statistics say about one out of every ten. So if, I, if ten people come into a restaurant and eat and ten of them are happy with it, only one of them will leave a positive review. However, seven to nine out of ten negative uh, experiences will leave a negative review. That means... 10% of the positive people leave reviews. 90% of the negative experiences leave a negative review. So when you start reading through reviews, understand there's a lot more people who had positive experiences that remain silent. But the ones that are negative are the ones that are vocal. So when you start reading through uh, uh, Lowe's reviews, you find stuff like me. I don't leave very positive reviews for Lowe's. You start reading the reviews on Amazon, and it's a product review. Or you want to go down to the, try the new restaurant on the corner, and you start reading their reviews. It seems like 70% of the reviews are negative. That's because almost everybody who left a negative uh, review had a negative experience, but hardly anybody with a positive review did it. And now... Because people have different views, we have this infighting going on. So you go into this online review, and the review says, Oh, I tried that restaurant, and the prices was too high. And that's the whole review. They left a negative review that said the prices was too high. What's that mean? See, see that negative review might, sh might shun you away from trying the place, but what does it mean when somebody, all they said is the prices was too high? 
You don't know what that, may, what that person's price range is. You don't have the proper context to frame their opinion. You may think that paying, listen, I like steak. I like a good steak dinner. I'm willing to pay 20 or 30 bucks for a good steak dinner. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. I'll do it. If it's a good cut of meat and somebody knows how to cook it right and it's got some good sides and a good atmosphere, I'll pay $20 or $30 to eat a steak all day. Me and these guys sometimes will go out the river to Abdella's. We'll pay $25, $30 for a steak, and, and, and it, it's in a dump. But the steak is good. And I'll go out there and pay cash money on it and get a good steak. But you may be the kind of person, uh, every time you walk in, if they ain't got no 99-cent value meal, you think, oh, the prices is too high. This place is too bougie for me. Oh, it's price too high, was it? What does that even mean? Because what's high to me may not be high to you. Hello? And what's high to them may not be high to somebody else. So, so in, in, if you think that everything's got to be off the 99-cent value menu, every restaurant that it pops up in weird, and I always see the same comments, oh, the prices is too high. And I'm thinking to myself, what do you want? I mean, there's a food bank down on West Street if you want everything for free, but other than that, these places have to make a living. Or I see people constantly talking about Walmart, and they say, Walmart don't have nothing in the whole store. <laughs> have you been to Walmart? I mean, I try not to go that often, but I ain't never been in there and just looked around with, there ain't nothing in this whole store. I mean, every shelf is empty. Listen, if I want to make chili, I can make one trip to Walmart, one trip to Kroger, I can come home with ingredients to make chili. It may not be everything that you wanted, but the brand and the size and the price, but you can find what you are looking for if you look. But if all you're looking for is to be negative and nasty and complaining, you're going to find stuff to mess your day up everywhere you go. If you read some online reviews, you think that the stores are just completely naked, like there ain't nothing on the shelves ever. And while I'm on the subject, let's just bring up churches. Okay? Now, I've lived enough days to know that there's not a pastor alive that can make everybody happy. Some of you don't know me. You're my, you're my first-time visitors today. Thank you for being here. But I can't make you happy all the time. I'm so glad you joined us today on this Sunday and that you chose to worship with us. But I, I'll let you down. I'm human. I can't please everybody all the time. And you talk to somebody and you say, hey, how about that church over there? How, how about that promise of victory? And somebody else says, oh, that church ain't friendly. What does that mean? I mean, what does that even mean? Because what their opinion about friendly is and what your opinion about friendly is may be vastly different. For instance, I'm not somebody that needs coddled. I'm not somebody that needs my hand held all the time. I don't have to be petted up and rubbed down. I don't have to be kissed and hugged. I'm not one of them people. So when I go somewhere, if somebody smiles at me, especially if they got a smile like Sister Sarah, if they smile at me from 25 feet away and wave, I'll say, man, that is a friendly place. She ain't got to run up to me and tackle me, jump on my back like a spider monkey, kiss me all over about my head and shoulders for me to think it's friendly. I think that's friendly. If I look out amongst this congregation and some of y'all are smiling back at me, I say, that is a friendly church. But somebody will go out and put a negative review into the streets and say, oh, that church ain't friendly. And what they really mean is, I went to that church one Sunday. The pastor didn't meet me in the foyer. He didn't give me 30 minutes of his time. He didn't exchange phone numbers with me and then take me out to lunch. That's what they meant. But so, so in your definition of friendly, in my de it's totally abstract. So you have an opinion as do I, and often they're not the same opinions. When you start considering what other people's opinions are, you have to realize that there are different levels of expectation that forms opinion. All opinions are not created equal. All opinions are not based on the same level of expectation. Have you ever went out to eat with a group of people and you're sitting at the same table? You literally just had the same experience. Like the same waitress waited on you that waited on your buddy that's sitting at the same table. And when you're getting ready to leave, you're like, man, she did a good job. And this guy over here is losing his ever-loving mind. You ever been to, have you been in that one of them? I mean, you go out with a crowd of people, eight, ten people, and there's somebody always disgruntled at the table. I can't believe the food was cold. I can't believe she took too long. I waited three times for my glass to get filled back up. And you're sitting at the same table that they're sitting at, and you're looking around going, no wonder. They, she is juggling eight tables. We have run this poor girl to death. I'm ready to give her a 20 percent tip and here you are complaining about everything had the same experience 
Same exact experience. Come to the same church, sit in the same pew, hear the same worship team, hear the same sermon from the same preacher. One of you will say, that is the greatest sermon I ever heard. Man, he was on fire today. Pastor Flat killed it. Somebody sitting at the other end will get mad, bulled up, snubbed up, leave the house and say, I ain't never coming back. That pastor just is nonsense. How does that happen? It's called opinions. We all have them. And so people can sit and voice their opinions, but opinions are not facts. I told you last week, I'm not willing to fight over things that don't have sin value attached to them anymore. And I'm about to show you why. I got some scriptures I'm going to run through real fast to show you why. I'm no, I will argue facts. I will. You try to tell me there ain't no God, I'm going to let you believe it. But I'm going to argue about how God has showed up in my life. I ain't got to come on your page and start telling everybody that's reading your stuff about because if you got an echo chamber of people that believes like you, I'm just going to let you be. But you ain't going to come and tell me because a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an opinion. And I have experienced the Lord and all his goodness. And you can't talk me out of belief. I know he's alive. I know he works miracles. I know he's still working on me. I know that there's a God in heaven. So, 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 so here we are. Facts are not opinions. And when you start arguing your opinion against somebody else's opinion, you're going nowhere. You're wasting time. How do I know that? Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Paul says, as for one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But do not quarrel over opinions. Uh, don't fight over opinions. He says, if they're weak in faith, welcome them. Talk to them. Help them out. But don't argue over opinions. Now, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but how many of you in the past week or in the past month or since the 1st of November or since COVID started in March, how many of you have argued opinions? Hello? How many times? I know I've done it. I'm not fussing at you. I'm fussing with you. Okay, so you fuss at me and I'll fuss back, all right? Because I'm guilty too. This climate that we're in all these social things and political things and COVID things. It, you're, it's like we're in a time warp. We just jumped right past civil and jumped right into civil war. I mean, we just, we just bypassed treating each other with respect and honor and seeing them as children of God. And we have just leaped into the future where we are hateful and frustrated and mean. And everybody has lost their ability to be nice and compassionate and loving and kind. Proverbs 18 and 2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. A who does? A what? A fool. I don't want to be no fool. I've read the book. I know that fools live a hard life. The Bible tells me that fools see the end of their day, but too slowly. The Bible tells me that a fool lives a life that others mock at. So do you want to be a fool? I don't. Now, there's some people that don't care about being a fool. And they don't care to act a fool. And that's why you ain't supposed to argue your opinions. Because if you're going to argue with a fool, they will drag you down to their level and beat you to death with their experience. Sometimes you just got to let a fool be a fool, okay? I don't want to be one. So God expects us to show his love toward everybody, not just people who agree with us. The mindset of our culture is to cancel anybody, stamp down, shout down anybody that don't agree with us, but that's not God's way, and it's not supposed to be our way as believers. We're supposed to live differently than the world does. God says, take my attitude, have the mind of Christ. Forget having a Republican attitude or a Democrat attitude. Forget about all that social agenda and that is social agenda. None of that is important as having the attitude of Christ because you know why? If you get the attitude of Christ, all the rest of that will fall into place. James chapter, one, or James chapter 4, verse 1, he asked a question. What's causing quarrels and fights among you? Notice he ain't asking this down at the bar. He's asking this to the church of God. He's asking this to his house. What is causing fights and quarrels among you? You're fighting with each other at the church. What are you doing arguing with each other? And then he gives the answer. They come from the evil desires that are at war inside of you. I've preached all morning to get right here. 
In other words, there is an interpersonal conflict that is causing an intrapersonal conflict. You're arguing with everybody else ain't got nothing to do with them and their attitude, them and the way they treat you, them and the way that they feel about this or feel about that. Your problem is on the inside of you. And that's why you can quit one job and the same trouble will show up over there at the other job. You can go and change houses, change spouses, quit church, join church, join another church, and the same problem shows up everywhere you go because the trouble wasn't ever in them. It was in here, and you take you everywhere you go. This, this conflict, he said, you're fighting each other because you're messed up on the inside of you. You're not right inside, so you can't get right with each other. The reason you're quarreling and fighting and spewing your venom and your opinions everywhere is because you're not settled on the inside. He said, you lust, and you have not, you kill, you desire to have, you can't get it, you fight and you war. And then he says, if you want to fix this, why don't you pray? And then he starts using these terms and these verses that we're very familiar with. He says, you, you ask, but you have not because you ask amiss. And the effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We know those verses, right? But he first asked the question, why don't you pray? And listen, I believe in the power of prayer, and I believe in the transformational power of prayer, and I believe that when you start praying, everything's going to happen. But really what Paul was saying was this. Instead of fighting with each other, there's some stuff you ought to just keep your mouth shut and only talk to God about. That's what he was really saying. What he was really saying was, I'm glad you got an opinion. I'm glad you feel full of yourself. I'm glad you feel doctrinated. I'm glad you Googled a couple of facts, and now you think that you've got all the answers. But there's some stuff you ought to just bite your lip. Instead of fighting and quarreling with everybody else, you ought to just take that mess to God. You want to straighten everybody else? Talk to God about it. You want to get somebody on a straight and narrow? Talk to God about it. You want to make sure the relationship works out the way God would want to? Talk to the Lord about it. Take that mess to the Lord in prayer and quit fighting amongst yourself. How mercy. <laughs> now we all want mercy when we make mistakes. When we mess up, we want God to give us mercy. When we hurt somebody, we want them to give us mercy. But we don't want to extend that same mercy to other people when they make mistakes. We want to hold it over their head because their opinion is different than our opinion. And I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12 and verse 18 tells it like it is. He says, as much as it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As much as it depends on you. As much as it depends on you. In other words, there's some folks you won't be able to get along with because they won't allow you to get along with them. But it should never be you. There's some, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. It should never be you. So there's pastors... When this whole COVID thing was really in its, I mean, not just the beginning, like middle ways. There's these pastors that would go on Facebook, well-known pastors with thousands of followers. And they were getting on Facebook and they were lambasting every church that was closed. I couldn't help but to think of this little country preacher out in the middle of nowhere that's got six little senior adults coming to his little country church out there and he has called off church for six months and his heart's broke and the people's hearts are broke and he did it to protect his sheep so they don't get sick and die on his watch and here's this joker on Facebook making this viral spread talking about open your churches up quit being a coward and all I kept saying was that's not living peaceably that's not being sick civil. That, that is not the spirit of Christ. That is against the spirit of God to attack another pastor, to attack another body of Christ for the way that they're handling something. Number one, I pastor one church and it's all I can handle. So I'm only responsible for one church. I'm not about to get on Facebook I'm not about to go on the local news and try to tell other pastors how to pastor their congregation because it's not my responsibility. I have all I can do, I can handle with just this one. And we got pastors doing this and millions of people looking at it and then all the ones that has the same opinion, all the church members, 
with the same opinion starts chiming in. Yeah, I wish they would open the churches back up. I didn't know I went to a church that had a, a pastor that was a coward. You should Listen to me. If you don't pastor that church, you shouldn't be putting your mouth on it. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that. I, I told you this was going to get hard. I told you this was going to get difficult. But don't you, you shouldn't be putting your mouth on how he treats her. You don't live in that house. You don't know what she's like behind closed doors. You keep your opinion to yourself. Unless somebody asks your opinion, you ought to just stuff it right down in your pocket and keep it right there and do what Paul said. Talk to the Lord about it. You can't talk to people. Folks are going to get mad at you. Folks are going to get unruly. Talk to the Lord about it. I told you this is going to get tough. This is what happened in Luke chapter 9, and I'll get out of your hair because I know some of you are mad at me now. But I love you anyway. In Luke chapter 9, the disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest when they come into the kingdom. And I'm going to be talking a lot about kingdom going forward. This is a preview of what, where we're going to. They were arguing about who was going to be the greatest when they got to the kingdom. And in verse 47, Jesus, and this scares me to death. First four words scares me to death. Jesus knew their thoughts. That, that worries me a little bit. That means I don't even have to say what's on my mind for him to know what's on my mind. So he brought a little child to his side and he said to them, Anyone who welcomes the little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anybody who welcomes me also welcomes my father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. Whoever is the least. Whoever is the servant. Whoever holds somebody else above them puts everybody else's opinion above their own. Whoever does that, Jesus says, is the greatest. So how are you doing with that? How are you doing? If we was taking a test right now, how are you doing with that? Because I can tell you, I don't do great at it all the time. I'll just be, I'll just be honest with you. I, 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 I'm, I'm better than I used to be, and I hope to do better than what I am right now. I pray I do better. But I'm not where I need to be. I need to be better at this. I need to be better at preferring other people and letting their opinions be spoken without me having to come back at them. I need to be better at that. Listen to what he says in verse 48. John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told them to stop because they didn't belong to our church. I know it says that they wasn't part of our group, but let's be honest. They were casting out demons in your name, and we forbade them because they ain't in our squad. They don't follow us on Instagram. They ain't been to our school of ministry. They haven't joined our church. You know what Jesus said to them? He says, leave them alone. In verse 50, let them be. Because if they're not against you, they're for you. Is that not a message for 2021? Is that not? Listen, Jesus didn't ask them what church they was a member of. He didn't say, hey, are they a member of the right church? Well, if they are, then they can use my name. That's not what he said. Hey, you know what else he didn't say? He didn't say, how'd they register to vote? He didn't, he didn't say that. Did you see that up on, did you see that up on the screen anywhere? Did, did you see him qualify them at all? Did you, say, hey, did you hear him say, so go tell them Democrats they can't use my name? He didn't say that. So you stop saying that. Stop getting on Facebook and telling people if they're part of a Democratic Party, they're not going to heaven. You don't have a heaven or a hell to put nobody in. That is not your place to judge. That is an opinion, and that is not fact. And it is not a fact that's based in Scripture, so don't do it. There's enough division in the world. It should not be in the house of God. Paul said, talk to the Lord about it. I remember, I'd, I'd like to get back to the day where we kept some stuff to ourselves and kept it to privacy to where we didn't have to debate everything all the time. We just Do you remember a time when you didn't talk about certain things out in public? I remember when adults didn't discuss certain things. I'd like to get back to that. So stop saying when people are going to hell, that's not your decision to make. Don't do it. Don't shout where the Bible is silent. You're going to give an account for every idle word. That's Bible. 
Keep your opinions to your chest unless somebody asks you for them. And even then, only give it with humility and with love and compassion. This is Bible, church. I know this is not exciting because we've gotten to the point where Bible don't excite us anymore. But this is the way the Bible tells us to live and treat each other. You know what else Jesus didn't ask them? He didn't say, oh, oh, they were using my name. Well, they wasn't wearing no mask, was they? I don't want nobody that wears masks to be using my name because they don't have no faith. Oh, good grief. Church, we got to do better. Body of Christ, we have to represent Christ better than this. He did not ask them, oh, well, if they're one of them mask wearers, you know, you know all this is bogus and it's all a hoax. He didn't say that. He said, if they're not fighting against you, don't fight against them. Here's what he said. If they're not arguing with you, don't go picking a fight with them. If they're not against you, leave them be. If they want to magnify their opinion, give them a bullhorn. Let them shout it from the mountaintops. But body of Christ, we have to do better. You have to prefer of the people above yourself. And sometimes it's not even the big mouth that you're preferring. It's the audience that's watching you. Here's what I've learned. After 20-some years of being in full-time ministry and a pastor, people are always watching me. And the collateral damage of me telling you off is not you. Me giving you a piece of my mind, number one, I shouldn't be giving you a piece of my mind because some of us can't got, ain't got enough to spare. So, 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 so be real careful before you start breaking off pieces that you can't lose. But me giving you a piece of, your, of my mind isn't hurting you as much as it is the audience that is watching me. People who held me on a, a, a place of esteem and I come crashing down because I had a momentary lapse of reason because I had to tell you what was. Be very careful before you give your opinion. You know what? Sometimes you just have to put other people's desires and opinions above your own. Sometimes you just have to do that. Sometimes you have to keep the peace. Sometimes you have to just make other people feel easy, even if it inconveniences you. You know why? Because that's the attitude of Christ. It was not convenient for Jesus to take up that cross. It was not convenient for him to keep his mouth shut. The Bible says that when they mocked him, he uttered not a word. He didn't even defend himself, and it wasn't convenient. But if you want to have the attitude of Christ, that's the attitude that, that's what it looks like. That's the kind of attitude he had. He preferred people above himself. And I'm not saying you have to agree with people. I'm not telling you that. I'm not telling you that you have to honor their opinion. You just have to respect it. He said live peaceably. As much as you can, live in peace with people. You can go to church with people that don't have the same political beliefs as you. You can go to church with people who have sin in their life. You know why? You do too. Your sin might be a different shade, a different color, a different standing, but it's all sin. I have sin too. I know who I am. If you want to go to a church with no sin, don't show up in mine. Me and Jesus are still working this thing out, okay? So, so, so you don't have to agree to their teachings. You don't have to go over and subscribe to their newsletter or follow their blog. You don't even have to like their attitude. It doesn't say any of that stuff. It says to live in peace. Don't act like the world lacks. Live with them in peace. So I want to challenge you, body of Christ. Do better than the world does. I want to challenge you. I know you have an opinion, and listen to me. I didn't come here to beat you up. I value you. You are valuable. Every one of you are valuable. Christ died for you. And God created you to be unique and to have the mindset of getting things done that he created you to do. But I'm, I'm going to challenge you to do better with keeping your opinion to yourself and talking to God about it. Listen to that word again. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing their opinion. Let's quit acting like fools. Can we do that in 2021? Can we head into this year on a good note and not act like fools? We can do that. We can do better than that. If you agree with that, can you give the Lord a hand clap? I love you. I love you. And I, I hope this word challenges you because it's been challenging me all week. I've been challenged for three months now to stop quarreling over my opinions. I just won't do it anymore. There's people dying and going to hell. And that's important. Those are the things that the church needs to be focused on. 
Helping marriages heal, that's important. Praying for prodigal sons and daughters, that's important. Praying that the nation gets healed from COVID, that's important. And oh, by the way, if I ain't made, maybe I've only made half of you mad, let me get the other half. We're supposed to be praying for the leadership, and it don't matter who it is that's in the White House. We're supposed to be praying for them too. That's important. If you can only pray for the last president or the one before that one, but you can't pray for this one, either you don't understand how prayer works, or you have got the wrong idea about what prayer is supposed to be like. So, so I love you. And, and, and I don't want to see anybody going to hell. And I'm not interested in quarreling over opinions. And I don't want you to either. I want you to spend your time doing what's important. Raise your kids. Love your kids. Love your spouses. Love one another. Have an attitude of humility and an attitude of Christ. And I promise you, I promise you that one day you're going to show up in heaven and there's going to be somebody that comes up to you and say, you don't know it, but you made an influence in my life while we were back on earth. And the reason I'm here is because you loved when you didn't, when, when you were being mistreated, when you were being abused, and I saw how faithful you was, and it made me want to follow Christ too. Isn't that its own reward? Isn't that a great way to enter heaven?